listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org or find us on social media. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. Our New Testament reading comes from Matthew 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When you fast, do not, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that what will not be obvious to others, that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven 
where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Y'all can take a seat. Hey, Cornerstone. Hey. So we recently bought a house near TU, and it's 93 years old, and I am not what you would call handy. In fact, we are going to be talking about atonement today, and if you want to see the need for atonement, you can come by sometime when I'm working on the house. And the other day, we had a series of outlets die in one of our rooms. So I got an outlet tester, and I was trying to figure out where the wiring went from good to something else. I honestly have no idea what I was looking for. I just knew some lights worked and others didn't. And I finally found an outlet that was reading open neutral. So I traced it back into our attic. And as I'm in the attic, I'm stepping on the joist, trying to make sure I'm careful with my footing, trying to find this junction box. And I thought, you know what? I'm up here and that's good enough for me. I think I'm just gonna live in the attic from now on. (laughs) It's really comfortable. That's obviously not what I did, right? I hate the attic. The attic is either freezing or boiling, it's full of insulation, and you could fall into your own home. (laughs) So what did I do? I looked for this junction box, and then I tagged it for our electrician to come and help us out because I'm not capable of performing that repair. And that time I spent in the attic, it had me in the same posture that we're meant to adopt when we're fasting, which is what our text is about today. The whole exercise, it wasn't for the pleasure of wandering around in the dark, It was finding the problem so that I could tag it for professional help so that where there was darkness, there would instead be light. It was a time of examining and searching so that I could ask someone beyond me to do something for me. In Ash Wednesday, what it does is it marks the beginning of the Lenten season, these 40 days before Easter where we are mimicking the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. We are choosing to afflict ourselves, to deny ourselves in hopes that we would be reshaped to be more like him. And before I get too far into today, I want to say from the top, when we're talking about fasting, it doesn't have to be only food. Because I know there are some people in the room who are thinking, I can't fast, I'll literally pass out. Or maybe you have a complicated relationship with food. When we're thinking about fasting, we're really thinking about consciously curbing our consumption of anything in order that our appetites might be reshaped towards God. So when we're thinking about fasting, What I want us to think about is the fact that God is inviting us into a true fast, one that's turning us inward to see our need, upward in a cry for help, and outward with a renewed heart. Again, he wants us to look inward to see our need, upward in help, and outward with a renewed heart. And in the text we just read, Isaiah 58, the prophet is addressing God's people in a moment of rebellion. So this moment in Israel's history, it's helpful for us because it's going to show us the posture that we ought not to fast in. And the question he puts before them is, is this the kind of fast that I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves. So do you think all I've commanded from you is a single day of obedience? And the obvious answer here is no. He wants lives that are fully submitted to him. He wants hearts that are changed that overflow into new actions. And What's going on in this moment is God's people know that they ought to be living differently. They know better, right? These are a people who God has called out of slavery 
into possession of a land that they did not own so that they could be a blessing to the entire world. And what they're doing is they're abdicating their responsibility in this moment. Isaiah paints a beautiful picture of what the people of God can accomplish when they are living as his people. Swords will be beaten into plowshares. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will come to worship God in Jerusalem, but it will happen when the people of God function as a city set on a hill, a light that cannot be hidden, this glorious revelation to the world of the character of God. But that's what they're meant to be, and we know that's not how the story goes, right? The charge before them is they're participating in the right service level action, but it doesn't lead to the changed heart. Isaiah calls them out for neglecting the poor, for fighting with each other. So they're performing the ritual, but they see no change in their life. And rather than use the appointed fast as an opportunity to turn inward and see what is wrong inside of me, they're doing it and expecting God to do something for them as a checklist item. And this is not just a story that Israel has participated in. It's a story that we live in, right? We're meant to be a city set on a hill a light to the world. We know the things that we ought to do and the things that we want to do, and we find that we are often incapable of doing them. The rhetorical questions that God is asking of his people through the prophet Isaiah could be asked of us. It could be asked of me, right? For me, it's really easy for me to think, like, me and God, we're good. I work for a church. I lead a small group. I tithe. We're in a good spot. And if that's where I stop, at this service-level understanding of what it means to be in good standing before God— I will miss the hope that's offered in Jesus. It's only by considering my broken estate that I will see my need for him. And fasting is not a discipline that gets a lot of attention in the modern church, but for a Jewish audience, it would have been a regular part of their religious observation. So this is something that we may not be as familiar with because it comes up in that section of our Bible that we kind of peter out in our Bible in a year plan on. But the central Jewish holiday was the Day of Atonement. And sometimes I think we miss that. We read the Old Testament often through the lens of the Passover, which was significant, but for Isaiah's audience, they are thinking about, in this moment, the Day of Atonement, this day when the priest offered sacrifices on behalf of the people. And if that word atonement seems a little bit stiff or formal, what it refers to is that sin has made all of us inadequate to stand before God. We are incomplete. We're not who we should be. And what atonement does is it purges our sin. It wipes away our sin. It makes us clean. It pays our penalty. Ultimately, this is what the New Testament authors will pick up on in Jesus. He is our final perfect sacrifice. And the one thing that's really interesting to me about the Day of Atonement when it concerns fasting is that for the Jewish people, it wasn't just the priest off in the corner sacrificing on their behalf they were invited to participate in this atonement as well through afflicting themselves by fasting. So the priest is offering sacrifices to atone for sin, but in order for the congregation to internalize what is going on, they were invited to deny themselves, to not eat, in order that they would feel the sting of what's going on. What was meant to happen in this moment is they were meant not to add to the sacrifice of the priest, Instead, they were to turn their attention inward to reflect on why things are the way they are. Why do we need atonement at all? Why does something need to die on my behalf? Why am I not the way that I should be? And this inward examination of our inadequacies, this practice of affliction through hunger, is meant to turn into an upward petition. 
God, I am not right. I'm not what I want to be. Will you help me? Do you all feel this? Yeah. I am not what I want to be. Will you help me? So fasting, it's meant to put them in the attic of their lives. It's meant to put them in this temporarily uncomfortable position that they might consider what is broken and God, by your grace, will you help me? And I do want to emphasize this is by God's grace. Spiritual practices like fasting, it's like laying up kindling in hope that the spirit would set a spark. It's raising sails and praying for wind. It's something that we participate in and then we rely on God to produce the change in us. Practically though, how does fasting enable this? Well, a fast is an embodied plea. We're saying to God, by changing what I consume, would you change what I worship? Would you change what my appetites are for? And again, consumption here can be more than just food. So I don't need to tell y'all, our lives are remarkably busy, right? I wake up and I look at a screen. I get in my car and I listen to a podcast. I arrive at a job where I'm trying to get to inbox zero. All day long, my phone buzzes at me with notifications. My attention is constantly chipped away at and brothers and sisters what I want us to recognize is we worship what we give our attention to all day long our affections are challenged our vision of the good life is reshaped restoried by the things that are asking our attention of us and what fasting does is it allows us to reset what we are hungry for fasting is an opportunity for us to say no to the constant snacking of our worship in order that we would build a true hunger for the things that matter. And that to me is one of the most helpful ways to think about fasting. I live a life of constant snacking of my attention. My worship is constantly engaged by something, an article here, a TV show there, something on in the background. And what that allows me to do is to tune out what is going on inside of me. I'm not in tune with what's going on in my heart. I'm not aware of the fruit that my life is producing. But Fasting sharpens our hungers. It moves us from contemplation to asking God, will you do something in me? Will you do something in the world? And this is something I feel as I'm preaching to y'all. I'm preaching this to myself. I don't know why, but I prefer to live a distracted life rather than being present to the people around me. I would rather read an article on my phone than engage with my kids. I'd rather check my inbox than be present with my family. And I, I don't know why. But I can fight this with fasting. By fasting, I consciously posture my body in a place of need before God, sharpening my hunger for him. And I think we can discount practices like fasting, like participating in Lent, because it can feel, big air quotes emphasized here, like adding to Jesus' sacrifice. Like I'm performing some kind of penance, as if Jesus' sacrifice was not enough. But fasting is not meant to add to the sacrifice of Jesus. That's not the right slide. Fasting isn't meant to add to the sacrifice of Jesus. It's to internalize the sacrifice of Jesus, to bring it home to us, to make it real for us. When I deny myself the things that I want, it affects my day. I get hungry. I get bored. I get cranky. And what that does is it invites me into a conversation with God all day long about why do I feel this way? What are the things that I want to run to instead of running to you? Why is it that I want this thing rather than you? Why do I feel like I cannot sustain myself apart from you? When I take time to fast, every time I'm hungry, whether for food or mental stimulation, I'm reminded to return to God as my true source. 
So what, what God says to Israel through Isaiah, that he doesn't want just a day of fasting. He doesn't want just a check mark on a religious to-do list. He wants us to live out his purposes. He wants fasting to overflow into action for us to execute righteousness and judgment. So how do we do that? Well, Jesus offers some thoughts on fasting in the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 6, the text that we just read. He tells us the answer is not to do away with fasting entirely, but to fast in a way that focuses on what is meaningful, the condition of our hearts. So Matthew 6, Jesus is in a section of the Sermon on the Mount where he's talking about how we practice our righteousness. And that phrase, practicing our righteousness, we shouldn't think about that as a warm-up drill. It's putting something into practice, practicing what we preach. How do we become the ones who live righteous lives, that carry out the justice that the people Isaiah was talking to was absent for them? And while instructing the people on how to practice righteousness, Jesus gives instructions on several spiritual disciplines. So prayer, giving, and fasting. And it's noteworthy that fasting is right alongside prayer and giving. So Jesus assumes that his disciples will continue to fast. And I find this especially interesting because Jesus knows that he will serve as our final perfect atonement. He will absolve our sins. And yet, so long as we have a sinful condition present in us, there will be cause for us to turn inward and consider our broken estate. We have reason to look within and see what Jesus is offering to us. In some ways, it reminds me of how Jesus reorients the ritual law concerning the Sabbath. But the core human need still remains. We still need rest. And so too with fasting, we still need postures of considering what is wrong in me. So earlier, what we saw in Isaiah is fasting is not a one-to-one input and output. It's not magic, right? But even though it's not magic, what Jesus communicates in Matthew 6 is it's still helpful. It's still a beneficial spiritual discipline. It's a practice that we can participate in, that God would use our denial of self to be reshaped into the image of Christ. So fasting here, what Jesus gets at is it's not for the praise of others. It's not so other people can publicly praise how holy we are, how good we are. Instead, it's us bringing our heart before God in this internal contemplation, asking him, God, would you do something to change it? He closes that passage in Matthew 6 saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The things that you are giving your attention to, your time to, will shape your affections. Bring that before God. So, Cornerstone, I want to invite us into a season of fasting for Lent. We don't want a mere season of obedience. We don't want to do this just because it's part of the church calendar, but we do want to set aside time to intentionally focus on contemplation of what's going on inside of us in order that God might change us. We're building a muscle during this season by observing this for, for introspection. And it's a lot like when we hosted the warming shelter back in December, we set aside a series of days to bless those experiencing homelessness, not just so we could say, check, we've done it, but so we would build an imagination for what could we do. The same thing with Lent. So, let me catch up here. What could fasting look like for you? Well, maybe fasting for you could mean giving something up so that you would become a new kind of person with the time that you gain. So you could fast from social media in order that you would be more present to the people around you. Or you could fast from following a certain sport team in order that you would have more undivided attention. Or maybe what you want to do is every day when you get home from work or you get home from school, You could put your phone in a drawer between 6 and 8 p.m. in order that you would be retrained in how to be 
with others. Maybe fasting for you could mean giving something up in order that you might give it to other people. So what if you, for the duration of Lent, chose not to eat out, and at its conclusion, you gave away the money that you would have spent on food to somebody who had need? I guarantee you if you did, it would reshape what your heart finds valuable. Maybe fasting for you could be a more literal fast. You could ask God to build a greater hunger for him by your denial of food. That could look like maybe you want to cut out caffeine for the duration of Lent. I guarantee you if you did that one, you would be regularly in prayer to God. <laughs> or maybe you want to set aside one day a week and say, God, would you reshape the things that I'm hungry for? However you choose to participate, I would really ask you to consider fasting with us this Lenten season because I think God is inviting us into a fuller participation in life with him by saying no to some of the many things that we distract ourselves with. I think God is bidding us into greater communion with him if we would say no to some of the things that we choose to snack on. If you do so, you'll be turned inward in a consideration of your estate, upward in a cry for help, and outward with a renewed heart. In a moment, we're going to place ashes on our forehead as a public sign of repentance. And part of me thinks here, did this person who came up with Ash Wednesday read Matthew 6? Doesn't he say not to disfigure our faces while we fast? <laughs> Which I'll let you chew on that one. But the reason we do this is ashes have long served as a sign of public repentance in Jewish and Christian worship. They're meant to communicate to us, we've been taken from the earth and to the earth we will return. It's a sign of mourning, of afflicting ourselves. By doing this, we are entering into an embodied plea saying, God, would you, as I do something physical, do something spiritual within me. And when we place ashes on our foreheads, we will do so in the sign of the cross. And the reason we do this is we are afflicting ourselves in order to imitate our Savior, Jesus, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. So Jesus, the originator of the universe, the king over all creation, lowered himself, although he's not obligated to, he took on a lowly posture of a servant. And there is so much in our lives. We live in so much abundance. There are many things that we can have, that we can deny ourselves of, in order that we would be shaped more like him. In voluntarily fasting, we choose to follow our master, putting off things we could otherwise enjoy. We deny ourselves in hopes that God would reorient our loves and if you guys do this with us during this Lenten season, it's going to make the celebration of the resurrection at Easter all the sweeter. The light at the end of the valley of the shadow of death. Because in considering why we need this atonement, that's the only way that we can understand why we needed Jesus to begin with. It will build in us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that only he can satisfy. Will y'all pray with me? God, we admit to you that we are broken. We're not who we want to be. We're not who we ought to be. I know that's true for me. And God, it is so easy for me to distract myself from that truth. It's easy for me to turn to comforts, to idle things. God, I pray that this Lenten season would be an opportunity through a physical participation in denying ourselves for you to reorient our affections. 
And God, we confess that this is only possible by your grace, only by your spirit moving in us. But God, we want to believe Jesus's words that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So God, we beseech you, would you meet us where we are as we deny ourselves? Or would you reshape the things that we find valuable? God, would we be able to have new affections, new appetites for you? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're so grateful you listened to this week's sermon at Cornerstone. If you live in the Tulsa area, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our worship and community in person. You can find service times and more information at our website. But wherever you are, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace.